Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we're finishing up Zechariah chapter 14, as I mentioned, and really this whole chapter, the theme of it is the great day of the Lord. And uh, one thing I wanted to just tell you as a way of an introduction, um, you know, it's kind of, I don't know how many of you watch the Republican convention thing, like uh, Donald Trump gave his acceptance speech for the nomination for president there in uh, I don't know what night it was, but anyways, during a speech, and you know what happens in every presidential thing? They usually, they'll mention some person by name, right? They'll say, uh, he mentioned some person by name whose who's, uh, either his son or daughter was, was actually uh, murdered by a, a uh, well, you can't call them illegal aliens, whatever you call them now, you know, whatever that's a politically correct word, but, um, and, and so anyways, so he said, yeah, you know, he, one of those things was, you know, about bringing law and order to the to our to our country and and he mentioned these people and you know if you were a parent and you had lost your child uh, just to hear the, the a future president or somebody just just acknowledge you that, wouldn't that feel good to know that somebody's thinking about you and they actually bring you by name and and you know all of us kind of I think we all kind of crave that you know that that recognition and that attention well I got good news for you this morning you are mentioned in Zechariah chapter 14 this morning. That's right. And we'll look at that when we get to it. But you are prophesied in this last chapter. So the Lord God, the creator of the universe, has mentioned you today. And we'll look at that. So anyways, uh, beginning with verse 1. Now the very first phrase of verse 1 sets the stage of this chapter, this final chapter in uh, Zechariah's prophecies. And that first phrase is, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. That word behold, it's an interjection. It's like in our vernacular, we'd say, hey, check this out, right? And then we say something, or, or hey, attention. And then we give this news blurb, or, or hey, you know, we're trying to draw someone's attention, kind of bring some focus on what we're about to say next, and that's exactly what the writer does here. That uh, behold, it's used often and expresses strong feelings, surprise, hope, expectation, certainty, thus giving vividness depending on its surrounding context. So in this case, this is bringing uh, very strong feelings. It's bringing hope. It's bringing an expectation and a certainty of what? The Lord is coming. Behold, the day of the Lord, it's coming. That's, that's the main thrust of that verse. Why would it be so important to use the interjection, behold? Well, the reason why is because for the Jewish people who are alive, when this prophecy is fulfilled, they're going to need to cling to the promise of the Lord's coming. This was written, I think, of course, all scripture is written for us as well, but this particular thing is an encouragement to the Jews that are going to be alive when this prophecy is being fulfilled. They're going to need that that anchor, that, 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 that hope, that man, the day of the Lord is coming. Because it's going to be bad, and we'll look at that. Right now, we're living in a different day. And when I say day, you know, they're talking about the day of the Lord. It's easy, it's kind of attempting to think that we're, we're talking about a day, like a 24-hour period. It's really not. It it's really refers to a time period or an age. Um, and we're living right now in a different day or a different age. And by the way, it's not the age of Aquarius. 
Remember that? Remember that song? The Age of Aquarius? Um, uh, I don't know whatever happened to that, but this is definitely not the Age of Aquarius. I mean, we're, we're, uh, this is definitely a, some strange times that we're living in. We are living in the day of man, or the age of man, uh, where man's values and, uh, and man's system... Sorry, I've got to rotate this here because I'm looking down the whole time. Man's values and, uh, and system, they're contrary to God's word and, and, and to God's values. There's a, there's, a different, you know, there's a different complete system in place right now. Man seems to do whatever he wants without penalty. People get away with murder, literally. Um, the rich and the powerful... They seem to be, although I would argue that, but they seem to be in control of their destiny, right? I mean, if you're wealthy enough, you can, you can do whatever you want. And we've seen that being abused in so many different examples. Um, and what's really hard about that for people that are the, on the other end of that or they're, they're victims of that, whatever, the, the, the manipulation or the murdering or the theft or, or whatever, um, it's like, where's God in all this? I mean, God is, seems to be silent, doesn't he? Well, that's because we're living in the age of man and not in the day of the Lord or the day of man and not the day of the Lord. So here's the $64,000 question, which I don't have to give you, but when is the day of the Lord? Well, the Bible teaches us that it starts with the rapture of the church. And since no man knows the day or the hour of the rapture of the church, no one really knows when it's going to happen. It could be today. It could literally be today. Well, the day of the Lord, like I said, it's not a 24-hour period. It's a time period or it's an age. And it continues, starts with the rapture of the church, and it continues through the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, which we call the millennium. And it continues on into the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. There's other passages of Scripture that describe uh, the day of the Lord. Zephaniah describes it as a day of wrath, a day of trouble, distress, devastation, desolation, darkness, gloominess, trumpet and alarm. It sounds not very cheery, does it? Uh, Joel adds, not Joel Hansen, but Joel in the Bible, adds to Zephaniah's description as he's talking about the day of the Lord, and he talks about a people that will be marching on Jerusalem. And they'll be great and strong like of whom have never been. And he uses the example of this locust invasion. And, we, you know, when we went through Amos, we, we talked about that. Um, or, excuse me, in Joel. He uses this locust invasion in his time as a verbal picture of this, this army that's going to descend on Jerusalem, this great army. And what he's referring to is the Antichrist. And I want to turn your attention you can turn there if you'd like to, to Revelation chapter 16, verses 12. We'll look at verse 12. But Revelation 16, verse 12, it talks about this exact same thing that Zechariah is referring to. It says in verse 12 of chapter 16, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, and this is Jesus speaking now, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. 
Now I'm going to go back and we'll start looking at Zechariah because this is Zechariah is talking about the same thing. Zechariah 14 verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So with this prophecy, man, it's so important. Hey, it's going to be really bad, but the Lord's coming. That day of the Lord is coming. For the Jewish population in Israel at that time, the first three and a half years of the day of the Lord, it's really not going to seem that much different for them. Except those crazy Jesus lovers, they're not around anymore. Where do they go? In fact, I would venture to say that tourism is going to drop like a rock after the rapture of the church. Because a lot of people that go to take tours of Israel are evangelical Christians. They're not going to be there. So business is going to take a hit. Um, But something else, and I don't know what it is, if it's going to be a discovery of oil or something, something is going to help their economy because the Bible says that that first three and a half years, it's going to be a time of peace and prosperity. Of course, there'll be a false peace and false prosperity, but nonetheless, there'll be, there's going to be some wealth, there's going to be some sense of security there, um, albeit a, a false sense of security. But the next three and a half years, so we got first three and a half years, not going to be that bad, but no Christians are going to be around. The next three and a half years, Israel is going to come to a full appreciation of the description which the Bible says the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be bad. That's why Zechariah is saying your spoil will be divided in your midst. You know, for you and I, we have no concept of that. But for the Jewish people, for generations in the past, they've, they've experienced that. Maybe not in recent, recent history, but in the 1940s they experienced that, or in the 30s. You know, in Europe, as the Nazis were coming to control, and, and, and anti-Semitism was just rampant in Europe, a lot of Jews, they lost everything. Everything was just taken from them. They've watched their spoil, just the, you know, the, whatever they had just kind of divided up in, in their midst. So it's not something new to the Jewish people, but it's going to be really bad in that second three and a half years. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Now notice it says all nations. Well, Israel at that time is going to have no allies whatsoever. One of the things I appreciated in, in Trump's speech, and this I'm, this, I'm not a go-Trump kind of guy, but one of the things I appreciated in his speech was he acknowledged Israel, that Israel is our ally. I think that's a very important thing for our country to acknowledge that. But at that time, Israel will have no allies. And that means that's including us, the United States. So at some point, we are no longer going to be an ally of Israel. Either that or, Israel, or the U.S. is going to be completely out of the picture. Who knows? But Israel will stand alone, and all the nations are going to gather to battle against Jerusalem. It says, the city shall be taken, houses rifled, women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So in other words, it's going to get really, really bad. Jerusalem's even going to get overtaken, but not everybody is going to be wiped out, killed, or brought taken into captivity. Now Daniel also received a revelation of these exact same events. 
And as he's hearing these revelations, he asks Gabriel the angel who is revealing this to him, he says, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And Gabriel says in chapter 12 of Daniel, verse 7, it shall be for a time, times, and half a time, which we interpret that to be three and a half years. He says, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. When their power is completely shattered. For the people of Israel at that time, it's going to seem to them that God's failed them, that God has failed his promise. Now today, the nation state of Israel, they neither confirm nor deny that they have a nuclear weapon, but we know that they do. I mean, everybody knows that they do, but they won't acknowledge that they do. But they do. <laughs> um, but, and also, they kind of have this philosophy that if it comes down to they're never going to, they, they have sworn they're never going to go through another Holocaust again. So if they feel threatened to a certain point, if they get backed into a corner, they will use their nuclear weapons. They will, because they will never go into another Holocaust. And so uh, if they're pushed into a corner, they'll respond with force. But at the time of this prophecy, they're not even going to be able to rely on that power. In other words, God's going to allow them to get to a place where they feel like it, all hope is gone. Just like we were singing this morning, you know, all, all hopes, when all hope seems to be gone. That's what it's going to feel like for the, for the Jews during that time. They're not going to be able to rely on their power, their strength, their resourcefulness, nothing. But I love verse 3, then the Lord. He's going to allow them to get down to nothing, but then the Lord, verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of the battle. So at the day of the Lord, he's going to fight against his enemies who have surrounded his people. Now, you know what seems kind of incomprehensible to me? Okay, so you've got the seven, you know, roughly, because this is going to happen towards the end of the seven uh, years, the Great Tribulation. All these plagues, right? We've got the, the, the bowl plagues, the trumpet plagues. All these things are happening to the people of the earth. I mean, it's going to be really, really bad. Fortunately for us, we won't be there. But for those that are on the earth at that time, it's going to get really, really bad and really, really ugly. And you wonder, after all these plagues, why would the Antichrist still gather armies to fight against God and against his people? I mean, what's going through his head? You know, when everything has been just completely devastated. Well, you know, it's the same thing that the Pharaoh king of Egypt did, if you think about it. Pharaoh, remember Egypt? They had all these plagues and it got to the point where even Pharaoh's firstborn child and all the firstborn males in Egypt, I mean, they were, I mean, it was a terrible, they acknowledged, hey, this is God's doing. This is, magicians couldn't conjure. They were able to do some of this stuff, but at certain points, like, this is the hand of God. And God had clearly showed his power through all those plagues, and yet they still went after the children of Israel at the end of that. It's, and, and the Antichrist, he's just a type. Pharaoh was just a type of the Antichrist. It's just incomprehensible, but it also is incomprehensible to me. The Bible says that people are going to shake their fists at God when all these things are happening. It's just the, the, the darkness and the depravity of, of man's heart at that point. So God is going to fight Israel's battle. Verse 4. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split into two from east to west, making a very large valley. 
Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. So the Lord is going to physically return to the exact spot that he ascended from. Isn't that a coincidental? The Mount of Olives. In Acts 1.11, remember when the, when the disciples, they were all gathered there on the Mount of Olives and Jesus ascended into heaven at 40 days after his resurrection and they're just like, I mean, I would be too. I'd be like, you know, your flies coming into my mouth because I'd be just like, oh, wow. <laughs> and some angels, they appeared to them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And I, I believe he's, he's going to step foot right in the exact same place that he left. Now, it's interesting, the Mount of Olives today, it's really kind of a ridge. There's like three peaks to it. And on the Mount of Olives, there are about 150,000 Jewish graves on that mountain. And you go, why is that? Well, the reason why, and it's based on this verse here, the reason why is because the Jews have the belief that when the Messiah comes, and they're not talking about Jesus, when the Messiah comes, the resurrection of the dead is going to be, begin there, man. They just want to be like the first people. You know, I want to be right there when it happens because they think it's going to happen there first. That's their, that's their beliefs. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, back in, we read that in Acts 1, you know, there was many people, follow, his followers were there, but it wasn't like an announcement to Jerusalem, like, hey, you know, Jesus is going up into heaven, everybody come out and watch. It, was, it really happened with relatively little fanfare at all. It was relatively quiet and simple. But that's not when Jesus returns. It's not going to be quiet and simple. There's going to be this earthquake. Now, geologists have discovered that there's a major fault line that runs beneath the Mount of Olives. It's known as the African-Syrian Rift. And uh, half of this mountain, the Mount of Olives, is going to shift north, and the other is going to shift south, and it's going to result in a very, very large valley between the two mountains there. Verse 5, then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. No, I, we don't know where that is. But yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king. So there was this earthquake during the days of Uzziah the king. The prophet Amos also mentions it in Amos 1.1. Now, for you older people, I don't want you to answer this, but for you younger people here, if I say, hey, the great earthquake of 06... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Hmm. It's really the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906. It's, most of you probably already know that. But probably some of you don't know about it. Why? Well, it was 110 years ago. I, I, actually, it was amazing to me. My grandmother was born just right around that time there. And I'm thinking, wow, it's already been 110 years old. So if she was alive today, she'd be 110 years old. That's amazing. Um, well, evidently, you know, we, people have kind of forgot about that, but evidently the quake in Uzziah's day was so great, about 300 years after it occurred, they're still comparing other earthquakes to it. So th that was a big earthquake. Um, but this earthquake will undoubtedly be a lot larger than the quake in Uzziah's day. In fact, it was large enough to split a mountain in two and shift it north and south and create a whole new valley. So this, is, this is a major event. Now, in the beginning, I told you that you're prophesied in the book of Zechariah. We get to it right here at the end of verse 5. Here it is. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, I have news for you. You're a saint. You don't have to die and wait for 300 years for someone to say, hey, you, he, they did all these miracles. It's like you're a saint today. 
So the trigger of the day of the Lord is the pre-tribulation rapture of the bride of Christ. And I mentioned that earlier, the rapture of the church. And the, the verse for that is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that word caught up, that name, it's the Greek word harpazo, but the Latin is raptus, and that's where we get the word rapture. You say, well, rapture's not in the Bible. Well, raptus is in the Latin, and it's harpazo, the, the being caught up. Um, so it says that the bride, the Christ, you know, is going to be caught up and and meet the Lord in the air. Now, it's not much comfort if the bride of Christ has to endure the day of God's wrath, the day of time of Jacob's trouble. It wouldn't be much comfort if during God's pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, if, if the church has to be there. The church won't be there. That's my belief. It'll be a pre-tribulation rapture that triggers, that'll be the trigger for the day of the Lord. Paul also refers to Zechariah 4 or 5, although not doesn't quote it, but he refers to the same thing in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound to love in one another and to... Let me start over. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So I want to jump back to Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to go through a few verses there. So if you want to look at it, it's Revelation 19, and we're going to start with verse 6. It says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now that's the church, the bride of Christ has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and, your, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, those were the saints who had the white robes of righteousness, the Bible calls it, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
So when Jesus comes back to fight the battle, you and I are coming with him. You're prophesied here in Zechariah. Now, this verse, verse 5, Zechariah 14, for five, verse 5, that was, for me personally, as my own studying scriptures, that was the verse that sealed the deal for me when I was trying to arrive at my own conclusion regarding the rapture of the church. You see, because I grew up in a church that taught amillennialism, and they, they didn't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. They believe that everything just happens all at, at one day, literally one day. Everything happens at the same time there, and that the, the millennium was kind of a figurative thing of the church age right now that we're living in right now. That's what I grew up in. And so for me, when I, when I, when I was you know, starting my own walk with the Lord and stuff, you know, I heard arguments from both sides, and it's like, man, I need to arrive at my own conclusion. What does the Bible tell me? You know, for each one of you, you, you're hearing me say this stuff, and maybe you're like, this is news to you, or you're like, I don't know if I agree. That's cool. Study the word yourself. Make sure you know what you believe. And so anyways, for me, I was doing a study, and I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, just please reveal it to me. And he brought me to this verse. And it's like, man, it, that, that just sealed the deal for me. I want to encourage you, and you're studying God's Word, if you come to places in Scripture, and maybe I say something that you're like, I'm not sure about that, man, just pray and ask the Lord to reveal it to you, and then get into the Word and dig. Do your own Bible study. God will reward you if you do that. I guarantee it. So, verse 6, Zechariah 14, verse 6. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. So there's going to be literally no light at the end of the great tribulation. Jesus even refers to it in Matthew 24, 29. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Think about that for a moment. Just try to wrap your brain around that. No light on the earth. Can you imagine what that would be like? Well, first of all, there's going to be no warmth, right? Because we get our warmth from the sun. Right now, we get a little bit more warmth than we'd like, but I mean, there's going to be that, that warmth is going to be gone that the sun provides. Crops aren't going to grow. Of course, there's probably not going to be many crops by the end of the Great Tribulation anyways, but um, no light, no warmth, no way to reference what time of the day it is, uh, unless you have a clock, right? Who knows if those are going to be working that time? Just everything is going to everything that you would think is just a given. You know, you go to bed at night, you know that there's going to be a sunrise in the morning. It's going to be light when you wake up. All of a sudden, that's gone. Everything that you that you put, like the earth is shaking. Everything's everything's just bizarre happening. All those things are going to be changing at that time. Can you imagine the fear that this is going to strike into the hearts of man when there's no light at all, no sunlight? Well, that's the end of the Great Tribulation. But now the rest of this chapter, really, it reveals the blessings of the Lord at the day of the Lord. Because it continues there, it says, But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. See, the earth is going to be plunged into literal darkness. I believe this is a literal darkness the Bible is talking about at the end of the Great Tribulation. But the first blessing of the day of the Lord is going to be light. You may say, well, is it literal or is it figurative? Um, I think it will be literal light. I don't know what the source is going to be. However, however, 
we know after the millennium that the new heavens and the new earth will no longer need the sun for light, the Bible tells us. The Lord himself is going to provide light by his presence and by his glory. So there'll be a literal light. I believe the source is going to be God himself. But there's also a spiritual application to these blessings that we're going to look at in the last part of this chapter. Because, you know, right now the world is not, they're not in literal darkness. They have a sun and everything just like we do. But they're in spiritual darkness. There's so much darkness in this world right now. So much people just don't know. And you and I, man, we have that light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Man, we have the light of life, you and I. You and I are like a city set on a hill. Man, we have the mission of shining Christ's light in the darkness all around us. Well, continuing on here, verse 8. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. So the next blessing is water. Now during the Great Tribulation, the oceans and the rivers, they've been turned bitter. They've been dried up. They've been turned bitter. They've even been poisoned, basically, during the Great Tribulation. But at the day of the Lord, the Lord's going to renew the earth with living water. And Ezekiel chapter 47 and Revelation 22 speak of this literal river that's going to flow from the temple during the millennium. And these are going to be healing waters. They're going to bring life and and revitalization. It's going to heal the waters of the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. In fact, if if you were an investor, it might be nice now to buy some property along the Dead Sea to have a, like a fishing resort because the Bible says during the millennium there's going to be all kinds of fish in the Dead Sea now there's nothing there right now so you could probably get it for pretty cheap so just hey, just uh, you know free advice here um, but it's going to heal the waters of the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean and you think of it the, the, the oceans have been poisoned during the Great Tribulation now God's going to renew it with fresh living water Again, there's a spiritual application because pure water not only refreshes, but it satisfies, right? John 4, verse 13, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well there in Samaria says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. There's that satisfaction in relationship with Jesus. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And in John 7, Verse 37, 38, it says, On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John tells us that Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit that would be given to the believers later. You know, as a pastor, this is the only time where as your pastor... I hope each one of you are heavy drinkers. I really do. I hope you're a heavy drinker of the living water, of the Holy Spirit. Because, man, you know, we need, we just need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be overflowing with the Have you ever been around somebody that's, like, drank a, an awful lot of alcohol? Sometimes it's like, it seems like it's coming out of their pores, you know. They're just like, ugh. And you, you, you can smell. I mean, they smell like a brewery, or they just smell, there's just that, ugh, wow. But you know, as believers, 
you and I can have that same. It could be oozing out of our pores, the Holy Spirit. Or we can, people go, man, he's, he or she smells different, you know? It, it, we, we have that holy, we can be refreshed and we can bring refreshment to people around us by that infilling of the Holy Spirit, by just, just being a heavy drinker of, of, of Jesus' living water. There's a lot of believers, or not a lot of believers, there's a lot of people that are just going through life. They're trudging through life, and, they, and they're trying to find satisfaction in everything that they can, anything that they can. And you and I know that they'll never find that satisfaction apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you and I have that opportunity to, to reveal that, to share that with people around us. Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Now after having been deceived and pillaged by the Antichrist and the false prophet, because I mean the, the Antichrist is only out for himself, the earth is going to experience the blessing of being ruled by one, the king of kings and the lord of lords. All those other cults, you know, we had Adam's Road here on Wednesday night. And by the way, if you missed them, you really missed a blessing. They were a, it was a treat to have them here. Um, but when, Adam's, uh, when, when they came out of the, each one of the members of that band came out of the Mormon church. I mean, they were, they were saved out of the Mormon church, and they had wonderful testimonies to share about that. But there's not going to be a Mormon church at that time. There's going to be no cults. There's going to be no false religion Islam is going to be gone at that point. There's only going to be one Lord of Lords and Kings of King, King of King and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And the Lord alone is going to be worshipped. And as believers, amen, absolutely. And as believers, you and I, we can fully surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ right now. We don't have to wait for that day. We could just, there's, I just worship you alone, Lord God. Verse 10. And the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hanael to the king's winepresses. The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now, Undoubtedly, the earthquakes during the tribulation, because there's going to be some tremendous upheavals during that time, and when the Lord sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, the geography of the earth is going to be totally, totally different. The planet as we know it is not going to be as we know it during the millennium. Jerusalem is going to be the only exalted city, the only elevated city on the earth at this time. And during the tribulation, and we're even seeing it now before the tribulation, violence is increasing, right? Uh, the Bible says in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And man, I tell you, we're seeing that today. We're seeing a trend in that direction. Wars and rumors of wars. Even today, even though Jerusalem, even though Israel, you know, they occupy Jerusalem, they're still getting terrorists that are trying to blow themselves up in the middle of Jerusalem, sitting on buses, blowing up buses and stuff. They're, they're, they're still not in a place of, of complete, true peace and safety. But they, there will be a time when there will finally be peace in the Middle East. And it's not going to come through any president of the United States, I guarantee it. It's going to come when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, rules and reigns in Jerusalem. Well, for you and I as believers, 
right now, he, the Bible says that he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. You and I, you know, we've got storms going all around our lives. There are storms even occurring in our lives because even believers get cancer. Even believers lose their jobs or, or terrible things happen. You know, you lose loved ones. All kinds of things happen. We're not, we're not immune from it as believers. But you and I, we have that light of life and we have that peace of Jesus that passes all understanding. And people watch us. They watch you. And they, they, you know, they, we, they see you going through the same thing that they're going through. But when we don't respond the way they respond, when, when, we, when, when it's like there's this, there's this calmness that we can't explain it. I can't explain it to people. But it's there, and I know what it is. It's that peace that only comes through that relationship with Jesus Christ. So you and I, we, can, we, 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 are that, we are that light. We are that revelation of that peace right now in our own lives. And Jesus Christ is our security. The Bible calls him our strong tower. Verse 12, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. That sounds pretty, pretty graphic. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together. Gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance, such as shall be the plague of the, on the horse and the mule on the camel and donkey and on all the cattle that will be in those camps, so shall this plague be. Well, what's, what are we talking about? Finally, the earth is going to be filled with justice. I mean, the Lord's going to punish those who fought against Jerusalem. They're there's going to be a literal dissolving of flesh and eyes and tongue. And, you know, it's interesting. A nuclear, a nuclear weapon can actually, a, an atomic explosion can cause that same thing. Now, I don't think God needs an atomic weapon to, to do. I mean, it's, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But somehow, and I think this is a literal dissolving of flesh, eyes, and tongue. They're just going to be completely obliterated by the Lord God at that time. Jerusalem, which, had, which was pillaged completely at the end of the Great Tribulation, um, they'll probably, you know, they, they have been in a great panic and confusion when all these nations of the earth are coming against her. They think all oh, hope's gone. You know, the, 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 the Jerusalem's going to actually be taken uh, at, to some point at there. And the Lord's going to wipe out the enemy and he's going to restore He's going to bring justice. He's going to bring restoration. They were pillaged. They were, everything was stolen from them, and now it's going to be returned to them. And yeah, I think about the enemy right now. How many of us has he just completely ripped off? He's pillaged us. He's, 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 he's I don't want to use the term, but he's raped us over the coals. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's stolen. The Bible says that the devil is a thief. He's a murderer. He's, he's just, basically, he's a liar and a murderer. Um, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come, to st- come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And how many of us, before our relationship with Jesus Christ, have been totally ripped off by the enemy? And there's been devil- desolation in our lives as a result of it. When we come to faith in Christ Jesus, man, there's that restoration that comes. There's that, there's that renewing that comes. Jesus says, I, may, I have come that they may have life and, that have, and they may have it more abundantly. 
Jesus, the good shepherd, man, he lays down his life for the sheep, for you and I. And he alone can restore what the enemy has stolen from us. What a blessing that is for you and I as believers. Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This is fascinating to me because evidently during the millennium, the inhabitants of the earth are going to be required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths. That is a feast, a festival that the Jews... Uh, uh, every year they, they, they commemorate the Lord's faithfulness to their, during their time of the 40 years in their wilderness wanderings. And evidently, this is going to be one of the feasts that's going to be required during the millennium. And, and the nations are going uh, are, are, are to be expected or commanded to come to it. Now, God's not going to force them by compulsion to worship the king. He's not going to force them by compulsion, but if they don't come and commemorate, the, they don't come to Jerusalem to celebrate that festival, there's going to be a literal, tangible consequence for not choosing, and that's, there's going to be no rain on their land. You know, it's interesting about this. Yeah, you know, as believers, Jesus gave the Great Commission, right? Go out into all the world and, and uh, we're to make disciples out of every nation. We've been sent out. But you know what the beautiful thing is? At that time, we're going to be called back into Jerusalem to come right into the Lord's presence to worship him and to just to be at, sit at his feet, literally, physically. You know, the blessing for you and I is that we don't have to wait for that time to come to Jesus' feet to worship him. We can, the Bible says we can boldly enter to the throne of grace right now. We can boldly come before God's presence right now as believers. I hope you're taking advantage of that in your life, in your personal life, that you're taking time where you're just coming before the feet of Jesus. Because that's one of the blessings that you and I have as believers even now. You know, right now, the Bible says we only see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. I, I love that one, that one song that we sing, you know. When Jesus comes, man, our faith, we're going we're gonna to see him face to face. Faith is not going to be an issue. You, you're not going to have faith in, the, in the, the, the kingdom age. You're not going to need faith because Jesus is right there. Uh, what a blessing that will be for each one of us. Finally, verse 20. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. What is this talking about? Well, basically what this is saying, even the most insignificant thing is the bells on the horses. I mean, you know, just this the stuff on their harnesses basically. It's going to be engraved with holiness to the Lord. What does that mean? It means set apart for the Lord. Set apart for the Lord, holy to the Lord. Even the common pots in the millennial temple, the ones that are used for common purposes, they're going to be engraved 
with holiness to the Lord or set apart for the Lord. No Canaanite will be in the house of the Lord of God. In other words, no, nothing and no one common. No, no, it's going to be, everything's going to be holy at that time. Even the common things are going to be holy at that time. Now, as believers, you and I are called to holiness right now. Leviticus 11.44, Jesus, or the Lord said, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And there's a lot many more temp- by, uh, verses in the Old Testament that say that, that we should be holy, therefore, because the Lord's holy. But it's not just an Old Testament concept that was fulfilled by Christ. It, in the New Covenant. Listen, First Peter 1, verse 15 through 16. Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You and I as Christians today, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we're called to be set apart. You know, even the common things in our life can be set apart for the Lord. You know, you know hey, I, I work as a janitor. Well, great. Use your job as a janitor to glorify the Lord God. Take the common things in your life and glorify the Lord with that. We're all called to holiness in all of our conduct. You know, the single greatest threat to your and my walk in these last days is to not be tainted, or that's the threat, is to be tainted and polluted by the idols of this present age. There's this whole, you know, we talked about in the beginning, we talked about this day of man, the age of man. It's completely the whole thought process of the world is contrary to God, contrary to God's laws and God's views and God's standard of holiness and righteousness. And for you and I as believers, it's hard we get caught up in the same thought thought processes of the world around us. It's a very great temptation. Well, we're all called to holiness, but you know the good news is the Lord has made it possible for you and I to live a holy life. We can't do it ourselves. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it only happens as you and I yield every aspect of our lives in total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek it. We ask the Lord for that holiness, but we understand, we believe that the Lord is going to perform that work in us. And he will. He's faithful to do that. But it's only as we yield ourselves to him. With that, we're going to end. That's, our, that's the end of chapter 14, and it's actually our end of our study in, in the, the book of Zechariah.